0: So, we're outside again. What is it that I want to do? I want to be an encouragement. And I want to be tangibly and practically helpful to you. You know, spur one another on to love and good works, as Hebrews 10.34 says. But wait, that's not exactly the verse that I was thinking of, given the stuff that I want to say. So maybe exhort one another every day, as long as it is called Today. Then none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Hebrews 3.13. That's a little bit closer. Oh, but there's an extension. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold to our original confidence to the end, firm to the end. Hmm. Keep that one in mind. That's Hebrews 3.14. Okay. So there's the admonition that, quote, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts As in the rebellion, Hebrews 3.15, care of Psalm 95, verses 7 and 8. So that's what I'm going to do. Taking the opportunity to exhort my friends and fellow Christians. Alright, so hard shift, back to Psalm 95. Forgive us that was a bit of a disjointed uh, introduction. That's where I want to camp out for a bit. And so, if today you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Well, when was said rebellion? Well, it was in the wilderness. Psalm 95, verses 8 and 9, take care of that. But, what if God is already silent? The psalm admonishes us to not harden our hearts to God's voice if we should hear it. But what if we don't hear it in the first place? What then? What do you do if God has, not really abandoned you, but just gone quiet, left you to the world and to yourself. The wilderness rebellion can be helpful for us here too, I would wager. So, you see, in the wilderness, while Moses was up on Mount Sinai receiving instruction from God, the people of Israel demanded that Aaron make gods to go before them. Consider this for a bit. The people have been wandering a desert wilderness, a rather unpleasant experience to be sure, guided by the cloud by day, the fiery pillar by night, and the words of God's messianic prophet Moses. Now here they are, stuck at the base of this mountain, aimless, directionless. Moses has disappeared, for all they know he's died, and God has apparently gone silent. This is an interesting and understandable absurdity to this whole situation. Desperate for help in a world that's too big, too harsh, and too uncertain for them, the Israelites are willing to create cast metal representations of a being which they know does not exist to fulfill the function that deities traditionally perform. Gods are to be appeased, assuaged, and appealed to for help and guidance regarding the logistics of life on the ground. And, as any empiricist or proponent of common sense would tell you, it's a lot easier to believe in, to have faith in, to trust... The power of something which you can touch and see. Something with which you can be face to face. Sometimes the fragile human psyche needs to go through the motions as it were. And, though disappointingly, it's okay if the god doesn't respond, the food doesn't satisfy, the sex doesn't gratify, the business doesn't thrive, because you never expected these things to be foolproof and all-sufficient anyway. But at least there's something in the aimless world which we must survive. So people create for themselves a sort of placebo delusion. If you didn't catch that, that's an adjective version of the word placebo. But thank God there's someone else who said, screw that. Alright, caveat. This is by no means a primary or an all-encompassing understanding of the events related in Daniel chapter 3. But it is, I think an interesting and useful insight. So, in Daniel chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar sets up a golden image and commands that it be worshipped. Seeing that it isn't identified with any of the other recognized Babylonian gods, one can reasonably deduce that this image is of something else, something made up by someone in Nebuchadnezzar's court. People know that whatever it represents isn't real. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refuse to bow down to this image. They essentially tell the king of Babylon they can do whatever he wants to them. Yeah, there we go. Sorry, we're reading a script here in case you can't tell. They tell the king of Babylon that he can do whatever he wants to them and that the God whom they serve, if he's willing and or able, depending on how you read the Hebrew translation, then he will. And if he can't or won't, If he's gone silent for whatever reason, they still won't worship and serve something that's made up. That's just dumb. These three men recognized that God might go silent on them, and they wouldn't know why. He seemed to go silent on the people at the base of Sinai, and they didn't know why. He went silent for 400 years. 400 very eventful years between the words of Malachi and the birth of Jesus, and no one knows why. I don't know why he seemed to have gone silent on you. I don't know the extent to which your own time with him, in quality, quantity, or frequency, is a factor regarding his apparent distance. But what I can encourage you to do is faithfully wait. You know the extent to which you are or are not tempted to turn to something else, be it some object, some acquisition, some end, or even just your own reasoning, to meet the various needs of life. But have the sober clarity like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to say to all of that, screw that. I know who my God is. I have the Ebenezer stones to prove it, even at least to myself. Perhaps consider the situation of a servant whose master has gone away. Has gone silent. Perhaps the parable of the talents might be helpful here. Not sure. From went the GT. <laughs> like I said, consider the situation of a servant whose master has gone away for a while, who has gone silent, as it were. And perhaps the parable of the talents might be a useful framework here. The servant knows that there are particular things that he should and should not do. But, in a lot of other stuff that may come up, it sure would be nice to have specific guidance and instruction. But for reasons only the master knows, it isn't immediately forthcoming. What does a faithful servant do? Well, he remembers who his master is, his personality, his power, uh, what he generally approves of, what he doesn't. Within this, a faithful servant discerns. Mixing metaphors a little bit. He takes one faithful step after another on the water, constantly fixed on Christ, whom he is confident is fixed back on him. Though the Lord directs our steps, that doesn't mean that life is a cosmic game of twister with God constantly controlling the spinner. Take the steps, fixed on Christ, He's fixed back on you. Examine, consider, pray, discern, and move on the water. God will speak at the proper time. Trust that. And patiently and expectantly wait. All right, I hope that's helpful within all that. Obviously, if there are areas in which improvement would be good, logistics, disciplines, prayer, scripture, dedicated time, different aspects of thoughts, whatever. That's between you and God to figure out. And I pray that he does. Not just saying that. I actually do pray those things. Often. For whomever you may be. Some of you in particular, but also for my listeners generally. Whomever you may be. All right so i said i know god's gone quiet i don't know why you don't know why we don't know when he'll speak up again no i said when not if so be patient be faithful be listening and he'll speak yeah there we go Awesome.